I am reading from the English Standard Version, the version we use uh, in the church. And I'll read from verse 4 to verse 6 of Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of our soul. Let's come before God in prayer before we look at this passage. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of preaching your word. We thank you for the blessing of listening to your word preached to us. We do thank you that the word of God is indeed your word and not ours. We thank you for preserving these scriptures for us so that we can read them, understand them, and apply them to our lives. Especially, Lord, that they would point us to Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us this morning, especially as we open this passage. Please, Lord, prepare our hearts. Help us to listen to your word. Oh, Lord, let it be your word, Lord. Let it be your word and not my word. Speak, Lord. Help us to listen with all of our hearts and help us to obey you as we listen and in days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have titled the sermon this morning, Finding Peace. Finding Peace. Cynthia Sheva never had the childhood she dreamed of. When she was five years old, her mother told Cynthia that she was adopted. From that day on, Cynthia began wondering where she truly belonged. At the age of 10, she stumbled on a stash of adult material kept by her dad. And it didn't take long before she started exper experimenting what she saw in those pornography magazines. She started experimenting with her friend. Lesbianism took hold of her at such a young, tender age. And from then on, she plunged into deep depression. When she turned 16, she was sexually assaulted by a 25-year-old man. And after that, she no longer cared about the world. Deep anger raged inside her. She began self-harming. She hated herself with a passion. In her mind, the only thing she was good for was sex. So Cynthia ditched school altogether. She became addicted to drugs. Uh, which she funded by selling herself and stealing. 
Eventually, all of these activities, these illegal activities, landed her in juvenile detention. As I read that story of Cynthia, uh, the story of Cynthia is heartbreaking. And it reminds us just how broken life is. Uh, here is a person raised in difficult circumstances. And from a young age, we see a mixture of sin and suffering combining to rob her of peace in life. And yet, as I thought about Cynthia's story and how unique it is in some ways, I realized at the same time that it is not that unique in one respect. The details of our lives are certainly different, but the deep longings of Cynthia Sheva for peace in life are present in all of us. Uh, in 2003, the Black Eyed Peas and Timberlake, Justin Timberlake, released a famous song with the question. The question they posed was this, where is the love? Where is the love? And here are a few lines from that song, for those of you who may remember it. People killing, people dying, children hurt, and you hear them crying. Will you practice what you preach? Will you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above. Because people have got me questioning, where is the love? Where is the love? The song by the, by that song that, 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 that was written by the Black Eyed Peas uh, is partly a lament on the lack of peace in our world. And it's also partly a prayer to God our Father. I don't know if you picked up the words. They said, Father, Father, help us. Send some guidance from above because people have got me questioning, where is the love? So they're asking God to send some help from heaven. They are crying, lamenting for peace. You see, all of us, not just Cynthia Sheva, identify with this cry for lasting peace in life. And I think we especially identify with it today living in lockdown Britain. We turn on the news and we see endless depressing news of death. Today we just had seven and we just yesterday we just had seven hundred and eight deaths, I think. On top of this, there are other things robbing us of peace. Family problems, joblessness mental and physical health issues. The list is endless of problems in our lives. So the Black Eyed Peas and Justin Timberlake are right. We need peace. But they are wrong to ask God to send us peace. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because, you see, God has already done it. The Bible says the peace we long for is not an idea or principle. No, peace is a person and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible says that peace has come to us in the person of Jesus. 
He himself, Paul writing to the church of at Ephesus, says, He himself, Jesus, is our peace. So this morning I want to do two things. First, I want to encourage you to ensure that you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want each person that is watching this or listening to this to be sure that they have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want to encourage you who have peace with God in Jesus to continue resting in the peace of God, especially during this difficult time. And to help us do this, please look with me at Isaiah 53, verse 4 to verse 6, the passage I just read at the start. Uh, these verses are part of a prophecy that God gave Isaiah 700 years before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, these verses are part of a collection of passages actually called the Seven Songs. And these seven songs predict the coming of the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the Christ. And this morning we are looking at a few verses from the fourth seventh song in Isaiah, which begins at Isaiah 52, verse 13, to Isaiah 53, to verse 12. We are just focusing on Isaiah 53, verse 4, to verse 6. Let me just read that again. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There are two important truths um, we learn from these verses that answer the question we are asking today. The question we are asking today is, how can you and I find peace in life? How can you and I find peace in life? That's the question that, that Cindy Sheva was asking herself. That's the question that, 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 that the Black Eyed Peas and Justin Timberlake were asking. And that's the question all of us are asking at this time in our lives living under the COVID-19 lockdown. And here Isaiah gives us two answers. How can we find peace? Well, the first answer Isaiah gives us is that we must start by recognizing that no one has peace with God. That's the first truth we learn here. No one has peace with God. We want peace, and peace can only come from God, but we must recognize that no one has peace with God. The Bible says the reason all human beings lack peace in life is that all of us are at war with the God who created us. With God, our carer, our shepherd. Look at verse 6 of Isaiah 53. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In this verse, Isaiah is first of all speaking of God's people 
Israel. God chose Israel as his special people. He rescued them out of the land of Egypt and he planted them in the land of Canaan. And he took them to Canaan through signs and mighty wonders. And he planted them there to, so that he could love and nurture them in the promised land. They were to live with God, at peace with God. They were to, be, to, to image God in the world. They were to be his representatives in the world before the nation. But the Bible tells us that from the moment Israel set foot in Canaan, they totally self-isolated themselves from God. They rebelled against the amazing, sensational love and care of God. And at the beginning of Isaiah, God spells out Israel's rebellion. He says this in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 4. Isaiah 1, verse 2 to verse 4 says this, Hear, O heavens, this is the Lord speaking, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I read and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the, donk, the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know me. Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offsprings of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And in the next few verses, God explains the result of Israel's rebellion. Let's read on verse 5 to verse 7. What has this rebellion of Israel led to? Well, verse 5 tells us, why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. God is saying that Israel's lack peace, Israel lacks peace because they have become spiritually distant from God. They have self-isolated themselves from the God who brought them into the promised land. They have abandoned God just like other nations before them or around them. They have become like all human beings in our natural fallen condition. They have just repeated the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They have rebelled against God, just like all of us. And this is reminding us that all of us really are born with a clenched fist against God, our creator. That's what Isaiah is getting at there in Isaiah 53, verse 6. Let's flip back. Isaiah 53, verse 6. He says, oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We are like sheep that has gone astray from its shepherd. We have turned everyone without exception to his own way. You know, God is like our NHS heroes. 
He's the one who shepherds us. He cares for us. He nurses us back to health, so to speak, every day. But we live in this world with our moral and spiritual guns pointed at him. You know, the moment we are thanking the NHS for all the great work that they are doing, and every Thursday we are clapping, uh, people are clapping for them. God cares for us more than the NHS. And yet we do not give him the thanks that he deserves. And according to Isaiah, our rebellion against God manifests itself in two ways. First of all, we transgress the law of God. We all have transgressions. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. I will explain in a moment who this person, the prophet Isaiah, is talking about that has been wounded or suffered for our transgressions. The point I just want us to see here uh, is that Isaiah is saying that all of us have transgressions before God. To transgress is to rebel against authority. So the government at the moment has commanded us to stay at home, protect the NHS, and save lives, right? You are only allowed to go outside to do essential things. If you go beyond what the government allows, you're breaking the law of the land. You are committing a transgression, a trespass against the law. And you'll be fined for that. Perhaps 650 pounds, as someone found out last week. Now, just like the government, God has his moral law. When you violate that moral law of God, you are committing a transgression against God, against the supreme ruler of the universe, against supreme omnipotence, against the only really true legitimate authority in all of existence. You're committing a transgression against him. Now the problem is that none of us do what God commands us. For example, the Bible says we must always tell the truth. But all of us are liars. We lie all the time. And we, we are inventors at lying in so many ways. The Bible commands us that we should obey our parents. But there's no one who has ever been born to a parent, which is everyone, who has ever always obeyed their parents. We break God's command for us to obey our parents. So when we compare what is in the Bible and the way we live, it becomes obvious that all of us are rebels against God. Just like Isaiah says here in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone without exception, to his own way. Now imagine with me for a minute that God is standing up and he draws a ring around himself. Right? God stands up and he draws a ring around himself. All of us are outside that ring that God has drawn. We are outside it as lawbreakers, together with the dirtiest criminals that the world knows. 
We are all just the same. We are all lawbreakers before God. And in fact, we all know what God requires of us. Because God has written his moral law on every human heart. And yet we don't do it. The Bible says God has written this moral law on our heart. And our conscience witnesses to it. Romans chapter 2 verse 14 to 15. Paul says this. Romans 2 verse 14 to 15. For when the Gentiles, that is the pagans, would not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Do you see? We know what God requires of us, but we don't do it. Do you ever feel guilty for something you think, say, or do? You say something and later on you say, oh no, I should have been more honest there than I was. No one knows that you've lied, but you just feel it, that you have lied about something. What is that? My friend, that's a guilty conscience. It is an alarm of war. It is telling you that all is not well between you and God. It's telling you that you are a rebel before God. So the first thing Isaiah wants us to understand is that our rebellion against God is revealed by our transgression every time against him. The fact that we sin against God all the time. We break his law. And our conscience bears witness to that. The second thing Isaiah says about our rebellion is that it's not just that we do things against God. It is that we are all of us naturally bent to rebel. The word Isaiah uses here to describe that inner twisted moral force that is in all of us, that, that inner deviantness that vileness in us that, that just wants to rebel against God continuously, the word he uses to describe that is iniquity. Look at verse 5 there. He says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. So we have transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah says we have iniquities. The original word for iniquity in the original language is A-W-O-N. Iniquities are not so much things we do. They express our inner twisted and vile rebellion against God. In short, what Isaiah is identifying here is saying the reason we transgress is because we are twisted morally. Everything about us is twisted. No one does good. Not even one. We, even if we wanted to do good, we can't do it. In fact, even the good things we do, loving and helping others, church attendance, all of it is perfumed with the vile stench of our rebellious nature. You see, God can't enjoy 
what you do for him, even the good. Why? Because you are at war with him. You, you are like a man giving a present to a woman he has divorced. Your good deeds are like that. Your good deeds are like a man giving a present to a woman he has divorced. That good is an insult. Because fundamentally, your life is out of balance. Everything about you is rebellious towards God, and therefore even doing good things to God cannot please him at all. Because at the core, you are a rebel. You see, you and I are not good and decent people before God. We are not. We are on the road to hell to suffer eternal punishment for our rebellion against God. Revelation 22 verse 12 to 14 says this. This is the Lord Jesus speaking at the end of Revelation. The last book in the Bible. Chapter 22 verse 12 to 15. He says this. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repair everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters. That's everyone. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood, every liar. The Lord Jesus is saying, our rebellion against God means we are on the road to everlasting punishment. So that is the result of our rebellion against God, our lack of peace with God, but, but there is more. Our eternal separation from God also robs us of the peace of God in this life. Because we have cut God off in our lives, all human beings are facing this fallen life with all its problems, all its COVID issues, all the issues we face in our lives. All of those things, we are facing them on our own. Because we have rejected God, our shepherd. And this is why we are restless inside. We never feel satisfied, no matter how many things we accumulate in life. Our greed never plugs the hole. Why? Because we have rejected the only God, God only, who can truly satisfy us. This is also why we have no peace with others. We can't relate to each other consistently as we should because God is not in our lives to help us do that. We are cut off from his life. We are rebels against him. So we can clap for the NHS on Thursday, and we should. But if the same NHS nurse cuts in front of us on the road on Friday, are you going to be kind to her and let her just drive? Of course not. The same people who are clapping for the NHS, that NHS nurse on Thursday will be the same people mistreating her on Friday. And then we can think of many other examples. Do you see the point I'm trying to make? The biggest problem you and I have is not COVID-19. It is not even other people. Our biggest problem in life is God. That's right. Our biggest problem in life is God. You are at war with God. 
And until you accept that you are at war with him, nothing, you have no peace in this world. So the first question we want to ask this morning is this. Do you accept this? Do you accept you need peace with God? Do you accept that you are a rebel who has rebelled against God, your shepherd? Because until you accept that deep down your heart, you cannot benefit from the good news of this passage. And this passage has tremendous good news. Until you accept that you are a rebel, you cannot have peace in life. You cannot accept, you cannot, you cannot find joy in the wonderful news. The peace that is spoken of in this passage. And this passage has good news for us and it's our second truth. The first truth we learned, we learned in this passage is that no one has peace with God. That's a bad news. But the good news of this passage is our second truth. Is that God offers us peace through Jesus Christ. God offers us peace through Jesus Christ. The question we are asking is, how do we find peace in life? Isaiah's answer is that peace is not something we go looking for. Peace is not something we find. Peace is a person who finds us. Peace is not something we look for. Peace is a person who comes to find us. You see, the good news of Jesus, the good news of the Bible is this. God is not asking you to make your way to him and hope for the best. He knows you are a rebel. So God has come to seek you, to give himself to you, to have peace you need God in your life. And God has solved that by coming to look for you, a rebel. How does God come to look for us? How does God do this? Well, God is just, right? So our rebellion against God demands that he punishes us. At the same time, God's heart beats peace for us. God wants peace with us. He's not cheering us on to hell. No, God wants us to be with him. So there's a problem here. God is just and he must punish those who, who, who have rebelled against him. But yet he longs to be with us for our benefit. Not because he needs us, but because he just loves us. So how will God square this circle? Well, the answer is in all of Isaiah 53. In fact, they're all seven song, The fourth seven song. And it's especially in verse 4 to verse 6 of Isaiah 53, the verses we just we are looking at this morning. Because we see in these verses that God has sent his servant to be, pan- to be punished in our place so that we can have peace with God. That, that's God's solution. God's servant, the Messiah or the Christ, has come as a human being we read that in verse 2. For he grew up before him, this is the prophet from Isaiah, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire. So God is, sends his servant 
And this servant comes as a human being. But then we read in verse 3 that this servant has been rejected and tortured by the very rebels he has come to serve. Look at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And in fact, if we track back to Isaiah 52, verse 14, we see that there is this, 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 this God's servant is so tortured by the people he's come to serve. Isaiah 52, verse 14 says this, As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so mad beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So he's tortured. Is brutalized, even though he's come to serve us, we turn in on him. But we have not just tortured him, God's suffering servant is killed shamefully. Let's read Isaiah 53, verse 7 to verse 9. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. So he's treated shamefully, he's killed, he's put into the grave. And we are asking ourselves, this is God's servant that God has sent. So how can God let his chosen servant, this chosen Messiah, be treated like this? And to our shock, as we read on Isaiah 53, we are shocked by it because as we come to verse 10, we see that God is the one who is doing it. God is the one who is crushing his servant. Verse 10 says, Yet it, is, was the, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, that is God, has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his, his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We read here that it is God who has crushed his chosen servant. Why would God do such a thing to his chosen servant whom he has sent to serve us? Well, to serve us. That's why. God has done this for you, my friend. God has done this for me. God has crushed his servant so that his servant could suffer God's punishment in your place. In my place. That's what verse 4 to verse 6 is saying. Surely this chosen servant has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, verse 4 says. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. We thought he was being punished by God and afflicted. But no, 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 no. Isaiah says he was wounded, crushed by God for our transgressions, for your twisted, deviant, vile nature. He was crushed for your iniquities, for our iniquities. It is upon this servant of God that the chastisement 
The crushing of God. It was upon him who was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace with God. As you see in a moment, the peace of God. And with his stripes, we are healed. We are spiritually sick, rebellious from God. But through this crushing of this servant, we are healed. Isaiah says. Verse 6, oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We don't deserve this servant. We have turned away everyone to his own way. And the Lord has led on this servant. On him, the iniquity, singular we might say, of us all, the whole lump of our sin, is on him. You see, the point that Isaiah is making that this servant has come to take on himself the almighty wrath of God, not to divert it away, but to fully absorb the whole punishment on himself. You see, for the servant to carry the full weight of God's almighty punishment that you and I deserve to carry this on his back, God's Messiah, who has come as a human being, must also be God himself. Because only God can withstand the wrath of God. This servant of God is fully God and fully man. And his name is Jesus. We know that because we're going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also know that because 1 Peter 2, verse 22 to 24 tells us. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. He says, He, that is Jesus, committed no sin, neither was the seed found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He, that is Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. God crushed him on that tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness, to righteousness. That we might have peace with God, Peter is saying really. By his wound, by his very wounds, by his very crushing, you have been healed, Peter is saying. You see, in Jesus the shepherd we abandoned in Isaiah 53 verse 6 has become the sheep of Isaiah 53 verse 7 that was slaughtered for our eternal sin on that Roman cross. Through the very crushing of Jesus, through his very wounds, we find refuge and peace with God. You see, the penalty for our rebellion is death because Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us. He says, for the wages of sin is death. This is what you and I are God, because we are spiritual criminals before God. We are rebels. But thank God that the Apostle Paul does not end there. He continues, doesn't it? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus has put his head on the chopping block for us. He has willingly taken on the guillotine of the cross to remove hostility between us and God. But beloved, that's amazing, isn't it, what Jesus has done? That's the gospel. And there is a lot more in that. Because you see, Jesus does not just come to establish peace with God. He comes to be our peace. 
to be our peace of God. Let's go back. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53. Did you read that again? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. You see, the original word there for peace, did you pick that up? The chastisement brought us peace. The word for peace there is shalom. And shalom means flourishing or rest, flourishing in all areas of life. Jesus has come to make us live like a well-watered plant of God. Do you remember the, st- do you remember the story I started off at the beginning of Cynthia Sheva? Well, a few years after Cynthia left prison for doing drugs, she met a young man and she got pregnant. And as life would have it, with this new responsibility of a baby, Cynthia decided to slow her life down. She said, you know, I'm not going to party as much as I used to. I'm just going to slow things down. And she tried to start making her life work better. But she struggled. And Cynthia, of course, in all of this, hated God. So after searching and searching and hating God, well, one day, as God added, a friend invited her to church. And as she went to church, the pastor spoke about the hope and peace that Christ brings. And as she listened to the gospel preached, it pierced her heart. Tears welled up in Cynthia's eyes. That Sunday morning, she made a decisive step to place her trust in Jesus. She found in Jesus the love and peace she had always yearned for. And today, Cynthia and her husband, they were loving and transformed marriage. They got married and they are living a transformed marriage. They pray together, and they are deeply committed to their local church. Cynthia is even on good terms with her adopted par- adopted, adoptive parents. She also went back to school and graduated with a degree in Christian counseling. You see, Jesus brought the peace of God in Cynthia's life. And with that came the peace of God. Because you see, Cynthia is now flourishing in her relationship with God. She's flourishing in her inner life. And she's flourishing in her relationship with God. She's even flourishing in her relationship with the world because she's using all the gifts that God has given her to share the good news. And this is what Jesus is offering you today, this morning. Peace with God in a restless world. Peace with God and the peace of God. You no longer have to live as a rebel. Jesus is offering you a new life with God forever. Now this does not mean that your suffering will go away. Jesus has never promised that in this life. He has said to us in this life, we will always have trouble. But he does promise to be with us. To be our peace in the midst of whatever circumstances we face. And that is only the beginning. Because you see, a time is coming when you will live in a new heavens and a new earth with Jesus. Full of peace and righteousness forever. This is what the Lord Jesus is offering. Life with him forever. Beginning now. 
Why would you reject his peace? Come to God now. Surrender your life to Jesus. Ask him to forgive your rebellion and give you this new life. But if you keep refusing to do that, if you keep refusing to surrender to God, if, if you keep insisting to remain a rebel, well, you're shunning the peace of God. Peace with God and the peace of God. And your end is eternal destruction. Come to him now. Surrender to him today. What about those of us trusting in Jesus already? What about those of us who are at peace with Jesus? Well, this passage is encouraging you to remember that the heart of God, super duper, beats peace for you. God has only thoughts of peace about you. Your war with God has ended. Jesus has made an end of your rebellion. God is now pleased with you in Jesus. Yes, God hates the sins you, co you still commit every day. Because you live in this fallen world. And the time will come when you no longer sin. But in the here and now, God still hates the sin you commit. But he's not angry with you. He's not angry with you, the sinner. He's angry at your sin. But he's not angry with you, the sinner. Because you are now at peace with God through Jesus. Your sin is still serious business and you must confess it continuously and repent before God. But the broad picture is that God is at peace with you. You see, sometimes we doubt that. When we sin against God, we think God turns his back on us. So what we try and do is we try and end our way back to him. Sometimes the pressures of life can make us feel so alone. We all have different questions that threaten to rob our peace in Christ. We ask ourselves, does God know that I'm a mess right now? When will God heal me or when will God heal my loved one of disease? Will I always suffer from depression and anxiety? When will my family start getting along? I can't cope with work. When will God help me? When will God provide a job for me? Oh, the situation is so difficult. Oh, Lord, I'm really struggling. Please help. I feel so alone. We, we all have such, in different ways, such longings and prayers. I don't know what your longing and prayer is, but beloved, whatever your situation, this passage is saying to us, look at Jesus hanging there for you on that Roman cross. That is God looking at you with eyes of peace. That is God looking at you with eyes of shalom. A God who has pursued you to the point of shedding his blood for you is not about to abandon you now, is he? He has come so that you can have peace with him in Jesus and the peace of God forever. You see, peace with God means you are not alone. You are now back under the care of your shepherd. In every situation, lockdown or no lockdown, coronavirus or no coronavirus, at home, at work, wherever you are, he's there as your peace, as your prince of peace. 
Is it to paraphrase Stephen Shannon, my favorite Puritan? He says this, Peace with God changes the nature of everything. It turns lockdowns into palaces and tears into joys. It is a shield against fears, a treasure against poverty, healing against disease, security against danger, and life against death. Shannon is saying because we have the peace with God through Jesus, we now have the peace of God in Jesus. We can endure hardship because God in Christ is now the fountain of our joy. We can face the most terrible virus because we know that our peace with God means that God is working everything for his glory, for our good as individuals and as for the good of his church. Are you trusting in Jesus today? Well, beloved, can I then encourage you to keep this truth central? Let's keep it central as individuals. Let's keep it central in our families. Let's keep it central in the church, especially at this point we are separated from each other physically. Let this truth fuel our trust in Jesus. Let us be reminded that we have the peace with God and the peace of God. Let us resolve to preach this gospel of peace to ourselves every day. We started off with our question, didn't we? How can we find peace in life? Well, Isaiah has shown us we don't find peace. He finds us. And because we are in Jesus, we can say with confidence, peace lives with us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. Let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are God. I do thank you for this passage. I do thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. Lord, I thank you that in of ourselves we have no peace. It is true. But because Jesus has come, he is now our Prince of Peace. And I do pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to remind us of this truth. I pray for those, I pray for this nation at this moment, especially, Lord, as we lack peace as a nation because of these fires. I do ask that you'd show this nation that God is offering each one of us peace within through Jesus. And I do pray for those that do not know you, that have listened to this message or watched it. I pray that, Lord, you would call rebels back to yourself, that you would serve them, remind them that you offer them this hand of peace. Oh, Lord, work in their hearts to surrender to you. And I pray for followers of Jesus, those that have truly surrendered their heart to you. Lord, would you help us to rest in your peace, the peace that you alone provides in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that our, our future in Christ is always safe because God is always with us and is ushering us in into the new heavens and the new earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.